0: Our scripture reading for this morning is the final portion of the little book of Titus. We'll be reading several verses together this morning. And uh, let's all stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'll begin with verse 8 and we'll be together on verse 9. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you, greet those who love us in the faith, grace be with you all. And there you have it, we've read an entire book of the Bible together over the last several weeks. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on it. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege it is to study it as a family. To understand these words and ask for your help to obey them. We ask even today as we consider the closing of this little book. That you would teach us from it. From what might seem otherwise just the normal way to close a letter. But Lord, maybe be a good student Be our teacher. And we'll ask this in your strong name. Amen. May be seated. Now, to manage our time this morning, that being more verses than we're used to studying at one sitting, uh, I began there with verse 8, which we actually looked at last week. Uh, And I'll begin there with just a few brief remarks. Uh, Then we'll go on to verses 9, 10, and 11, which is the new material for this morning. And those thoughts are pretty straightforward. In fact, they're almost a repetition of some things that he had addressed, that is Paul, earlier in the letter. So we'll make notes of those as well. But I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning on verses 12 through 15. And that's where we're going to learn A bit about some people we probably haven't heard too much about. Not a lot of sermons are preached on the salutation of New Testament letters, the end credits. Probably for the same reason, not a lot of people sit through those at a movie theater. You don't think they apply to you. They're not necessarily important. You may say they're boring. I'd like to get to my car before anyone else does. So you get up and you leave. And a lot of times, some of these things When we're talking about the scripture, there is some truth hiding there in plain sight that might do us a a wealth of good if we'll make sure we ask those two questions. How do I understand this and how do I obey it? Well, let's look at verse 8. And that is, the saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. Here it is. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. That's basically a summarization of the whole book. And to say it one last time before, who knows when we study this together again, believing is behaving. To, to receive the grace that we learned in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 that we studied last week, that not because of our own righteousness, but because of His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of, And then this uh, glorification, this hope of heaven as heirs, all that is because he saved us. We, We learned that in depth last week. So those who believe in God have been saved. This book is to give them practical advice on how to carry that out. To be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then to say that these things are excellent and profitable for people. Good for you, good for a lost world, who needs a little bit of proof before they're ready to sign on the dotted line as far as Jesus in the Bible goes. Most people, before they'll buy something expensive, they'll ask for some type of a referral from someone, some type of feedback. Do you actually like that car that you're thinking about buying? Or dishwasher? Or life insurance for that matter. But anything that requires our investment. That would change our life. We want to know about it. And for the lost person. Uninitiated to the Bible. Christians are going to be a big deal. In whether or not they actually agree. That what they know of this book. Makes sense with the people who say they believe it. That's why these things are important. So after verse 8. We see verse 9. New material. Avoid foolish controversies. Genealogies, dissension and quarrels about the law. Why? For they are unprofitable and worthless. Now he talked about false teachers before. And this is a way of bringing that back up one last time in order to make sure it hadn't been forgotten. But there, there are such a thing, is such a thing as false teaching. And that's to be avoided to be understood first so you know the difference between a counterfeit and the real deal but for those who would involve themselves in what is said here is foolish controversies genealogies dissension and quarrels about the law this is more of a Jewish thing than perhaps an American thing so far removed but Americans are no strangers to foolish controversies and notice that it's the foolish controversies that they are to avoid there's no way to avoid controversy if you teach the Bible seek to understand it having understood it endeavor to obey it you're going to find yourself in controversy sooner or later that's not a foolish controversy a foolish controversy is taking the small maybe mysterious parts of the Bible that aren't completely and clearly understood things that we would not consider as As important to the he saved us part. And then making something very big out of something very small. And insisting on it. Such to warp or twist the truth into false teaching. That's the person being talked about here. This is not a reference for the person who asked the pastor difficult questions. Every church has a few that will ask difficult questions. For inquiring minds that want to know. Did Adam have a belly button Uh, did Paul take a left or right on the third missionary journey Uh, certain things that we don't necessarily make sermons about but you might want to know especially if you're working on a perfect record through uh, Bible trivia something like that this is not a reference to that there are people who want to know the finer points of biblical factoids this is Foolish controversies. This is the person who is bent on upsetting, even dividing people within church on his side and the other person's side on an issue that Paul would call foolishness. And the, the, the way that that always carries itself out is the next for as a person, verse 10, who stirs up division by those foolish controversies. Dissensions, genealogies, quarrels about the law. Uh, those who fuel the controversies, the people who, who push these things. Purposefully dividing families within the church. The pattern here is not unlike what we see in Matthew's gospels, how to handle this. It says here simply, which is a simplification of what we learn in Matthew, where you call others and then eventually goes to the church. There's a warning, and then there's a second warning, and then there's nothing to do with this man. He's damaging the church. And the point should be taken at the end that when that is the last resort, uh, because this person says here is warped, it's twisted in their thinking purposefully, they're taking a twisted view of what's clear in Scripture, then this person is self-condemned the discipline is their own doing it's their fault and the implication there is that restoration had its process the attempt was made there were warnings listen we need let let us show you how this truly is and it's not just my opinion it's the opinions of centuries worth of scholars it's very clear you're not looking at it clear look at it clear and time and prayer maybe fasting you've got a family member who's Pulling the church apart. But if they won't, they're self-condemned and they're allowed to go on their way. And that's an awful time. Same as in anybody's family when there's a falling out. That's what they used to call it down in Halifax County, Virginia. A a falling out. Y'all know about that? when someone is not at the family table anymore. And we all know how at the christmas or thanksgiving gathering if there's an empty chair at the table because they just didn't come mom's not happy right that's not the same type of meeting that that as my mother would say that hurts my heart so it hurts the church's heart when this happens but we can't allow for false teaching false teaching will get in the way of he saved us people won't be able to understand or see it so having discussed this, let's move on to the last few verses, 12, 13, 14, and 15. And they're made up of three specific requests that Paul makes or asks of the people in the churches in Crete uh, through this letter to Titus. There are three of them, they're specific And uh, some of them are directed toward uh, or include individuals that we know really nothing about. Um, We're not very familiar uh, with endings like this because we are not the people that they're addressed to. Does that make sense to you? When he's talking about Zenos the lawyer and Apollos and Artemis and Tychicus, those guys aren't here this morning. We're reading their mail trying to understand what it meant to them. So when it seems strange to us, or something that we might leave off and study elsewhere, it's probably because this is unfamiliar to us. But uh, if you think of it this way, these are real people that the real Paul the Apostle is addressing. And there's certain things we can draw from it that are important to Paul. We like to think of him as uh, this Powerful veteran of mission ministry, uh, decorated with badges and medals, purple hearts. Uh, if you look at the characters of the New Testament somewhat as, as some might look at superheroes, you don't get much more dramatic than Paul the Apostle. And you would think by the things that you study, that this man would probably do his best work. Alone wouldn 't you, just like good heroes do their work alone, in fact, they wear masks, and not too many people know who they are right well, this man 's very transparent, and what we read in this and other letter endings like this is that he has a whole group of people that not only depend on him but he depends on them in this network of of letters being taken here and gifts going over there and He's no different than others. We want to think that, but it's not true. That people are important to a Paul, the apostle. Just as much as people are important to any church or any ministry. There's no such thing, we went through this this past Wednesday evening, as a one-man band as far as the, the leadership of a church. It requires many. So we're going to see that here. Um, typically those figures do their best work alone but not Paul and it's quite easy if we're looking for it to see in Paul's writings that he valued relationships, friendships, partnerships, that he relied on the input of people that he surrounded himself with purposefully Paul makes three requests, these verses regarding some of these or those people, number one, I'll just give you this comes right out of the scripture, do your best to come to me, that's the first request uh, the second is do everything to help Zenos and Apollos on their way, that's the second one, and greet those who love us in the faith. So let's look at the three of those and, and here's what we'll do. We'll try to understand what this meant to Zenos and Apollos and Artemis and Tychicus and these unnamed people that he's supposed to greet and love. If we can understand that, then maybe we can uh, take that wasness ness and apply it to the isness. Of where we are here and now. So we'll end with a, well what's in this for me? I think I may understand what was in this for them. How does it apply to me? So let's look at these three questions and then we'll make some conclusions at the end. Number one, do your best to come to me. Uh, This is where in Greek we kind of lose some things in translation. Because the full force of this request is, is somewhat lost. The original wording carries the meaning of hurrying up. Uh, kind of like a military's double time. So pick up the pace. You could say it this way without harming what's there in the Greek. Get here as quick as you can. Would, would be another way to put this and probably more at, at what Paul was saying. But if you notice there's one thing that has to be in place before Titus packs his bags to get to Paul as quickly as he can. When I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, it's one or the other, maybe both, you've got to wait on them. Don't leave yet. I want you to get here as quick as you can, but after Artemis and Tychicus are en route or arrive... Uh, that way be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis for I've decided to spend the winter there so let's look at this as who, when, what, how, where, all those good questions that detectives use to try to figure out what's going on the who here one we know something about and the other we know very little about Uh, Artemis all we know about is what we see here his name was a Greek name we know from other places in literature that it had to do the name itself with the god of hunting so maybe his daddy was a hunter and he liked that god so he named his son after him who knows maybe we'll find out later Uh, even if all we know is this man's name and that it has to do with the Greek god of hunting it's obvious that this man was important to Paul and uh, maybe perhaps that'll be what some of heaven is like. Everyone has their their wish list as Christians of what you want to do when you get to heaven, right? Uh, I was really upset when I read in Revelation that in the new heaven and the new earth there will be no more sea. That means no beach, no waves, no water, no fish. But you've got your listing, right, of things you want to... I want to play the piano like I hear it played. But I want to just play right out of my mind. Um, But I'm thinking it's going to be very interesting when we find out the people like Artemis that we never knew. Maybe we knew his name, but we knew how important he was to the things that took place. Now, Artemis was thousands of years ago. What about the person in this town or the person in this church? It just was part of a funeral not long ago. A person I grew up knowing for almost 30 years. I learned so many things about that man after he died. When we get to heaven, we'll learn all these things. So the fact that we don't know anything about him now doesn't mean that we will know quite a bit about him later perhaps. It depends on how and when and where and all these things that took place that we just don't know because we don't know everything. Then there's Tychicus. We know more about him because we see him in other places in the New Testament. And was the courier for at least one, probably two of Paul's letters. He hand-delivered them. Uh, Three things were said of Tychicus. He's a dear brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. I don't think that Paul hands those compliments out like candy. Uh, This was a faithful uh, person in Paul's life and at the disposal of God's ministry. Now the when we ask the question, well, why are they, why is Titus to wait for them to come to the church? Well, you remember we talked about this little letter being addressed to Titus who was put in Crete to put into order the things that Paul was not able to put into order before he left. So this is a small church, a church in need of order. So the last thing you want to do is send a man there to put it in order and then pull him out before the reinforcements arrive. Correct? So the principle here is good leadership has good backup. So he's, he's making sure that someone's at their post as far as the leadership that he has put into place. The where involved in this part of the conversation, how many of you know where Nicopolis is? How many of you would like to go to Nicopolis? They call it something different today, but... I think you would all love to go to Nicopolis it's on the western shore of northern Greece very temperate region go with your uh, Netflix or whatever and look up the cooking shows in that region of the Greek coast I think if I wanted to try any food on the planet that's where I'd want to go it just looks delightful the water is gorgeous The mountains, all of it. This is what they make postcards about. And this is where Paul says, I've decided to winter in Nicopolis, west coast of Greece, called Victory Town, conquered by Augustus, having beaten Mark Antony and Cleopatra. It was then made a Roman colony and made a fine winter resort. You say, well, Paul's going to put his feet up. I doubt it. Probably something strategic about the place other than it's fine dining and uh, leisure activities. But here's the why. You ready for this? I have no idea. Because the Bible doesn't tell us why. We have to speculate. There might be some piece of of evidence that when later we talk to these men, it makes perfect sense to us. But for now, we just don't know. In 2 Timothy 4, we find out that Titus had gone to Dalmatia. Maybe in Nicopolis, that's where the two of them worked all that out. At some point previous to this letter, they worked out that he'd go to Crete. Titus knows all these things that are written in this little book, but the rest of the readers don't until they read it. So maybe it's uh, to plan for one or other, we're not sure. All that stuff he taught the Corinthians about the body and the necessity of each part working together with the others applies to Paul too. He's working with the rest of his body for the purpose of the ends of Christ's kingdom because people are important. I think it's obvious we see that in there as well. So let's move to the second request. Do everything to help Zenos and Apollos. As far as the who here, again, we know one a little better than the other one. One we don't know anything at all. Send Zenos, the lawyer, Apollo, on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. Now, Zenos, identified only as a lawyer, is found nowhere else in Scripture but with Artemis we can assume that he was a faithful believer in whom Paul had great confidence and I'd like to think that even in first century uh, a preacher probably needs to know a good lawyer might come in handy from time to time I'm not sure and one who is his brother in Christ this is even better but these are professional men that are here with Paul. Apollos. We know more about him than these others. And we know that from uh, Acts. I believe it's chapter 18. He was an eloquent man. Competent in the scriptures. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. This man seemed to have better speaking abilities. Than Paul the apostle himself. Who was known for being a better writer. But as far as the New Testament. A, a, an actual golden tongue of preaching with eloquence would be Apollos and not much is said about this man uh, but we do know that from Alexandra which was uh, in Egypt it was a library city where everyone seemed to be smart uh, mentioned multiple times throughout the New Testament you might recall that uh, Paul planted Apollos watered And God brought the increase. They were in this together. Then there was a a dissension. Well, I like Paul. Well, I like Paulos. Paul's saying, it doesn't matter. We both preach the gospel. So let's get busy. Well, the what is commonly held that these two may have carried the letter from Paul to Titus. uh, And that he's, once they're delivered the letter, they're there. In the letter is saying, take care of them and send them on their way. When they were to arrive in Crete, the church under Titus was to take care of them. uh, Underwrite the cost of their business and maybe to the next stop. Why? Well, it seems that the idea here is to use the arrival of these two as an object lesson, as it were. To teach and illustrate the concept of good works. Look at what it says. And let our people... Also, learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So you've got this little letter to talk about how that your belief should be seen in your behavior and your kindness and your courtesy toward all men. Well, here's an opportunity for them to show kindness to these men who've brought them this letter and are certainly headed out for other business for God's glory. After all, it was unlikely that Titus himself could, out of his own personal resources, underwrite the necessities of these two men. It would take the collective effort of the church. And perhaps these were to be the first missionaries sent from the New Testament church in Crete. We don't know. That's in speculation. But that phrase there, that they may not be unfruitful. This little paragraph seems to have a lot to do with stressing the fact that people are important and I like the idea that it seems as if all are considered to be part of that that there aren't just parts of a ministry that are designed as a spectator sport for those that aren't involved in that area we like to arrange our churches programming in somewhat of an a la carte uh, format you take this and do this and that'll be your thing and But when it comes to supporting the work of the ministry, praying for the work of the ministry, uh, being the hands and feet of Christ and by our own uh, behavior, adorning the gospel of grace, that's all of us. Uh, We're all in on it together. What does it say? That they may not be unfruitful. Who wants to be an unfruitful member of Wake Chapel? I guess that'd be another way to put it, right? He doesn't want anyone in Crete to be unfruitful. I don't think we should want anyone at Wake Chapel to be unfruitful. Or at Redeemer. Or, or at any of these other churches in town. I've met so many pastors. I think it'd be a good idea that we pray for them each. They're, they're meeting with their church families in different places all over this town. Doing the very same thing we are. We want them, like us, like everybody, to be fruitful for the cause of Christ. To be fruitful, to be faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, which sometimes means fruitful. Involved and engaged is a word I wrote down here because I think that's probably what captures this good. You think you should be involved and engaged in your families at home? No, not really. I don't need to be involved and engaged. They're just my family. I mean, I was all born in the same family, but what difference does that make? It makes all the difference. Same thing in church, involved and engaged, involved in the things that we do here, in obedience to God's command. Well, let's look at the third one. We'll pick up the pace. Greet those who love us in the faith, those that are with me. Who are these people? Again, we do not know. I have no way of knowing who are there. we're, We're not told like, say, in Philippi. We knew names of people when that church was begun. We don't have that information here. He says, though, to greet them that love us in the faith. That type of love is different than the type of love the world would talk about. It's the kind of love that we have through Christ. And it's the type of love that can build a church so tightly. That word koinonia, if you know what that means. Here's your example. Think of someone or a couple or family who, for one reason or another, was very involved and part of this church, but... Had to move away. Call them up this afternoon and ask them to explain what that verse means. Greet them that love us in the faith. They'll tell you. We wish we were still with those who we love in the faith. But we have to do that by correspondence now. That we were knit together in God's work. But now something stretches. Or sending your missionaries away. Or your children to the missionary field. This type of love is is more powerful than family love. This is the family of God. And we're about the business for which he died. Then he says, grace be with you all, which is the same way he started, ends the way he started. It's fitting that Paul closes short letter with an emphasis on people. And you could ask yourself, why would he at the end talk about, well, church is built of people. Sometimes pastors want to look at it like a business or their project or their thing, but it's a living organism made up of people. And it makes sense that when you write a letter having to do with getting it right, putting a church into order because God gave us a reason how we're supposed to do this, that that will live or die based on the people that make up that church. Now, just because you have a constitution and bylaws in print doesn't mean that many of you have ever read it front to back, right? If we had a quiz on how this church is put together and and, and what's supposed to happen when, in this case or that, you know, kind of like English class, I after E, except after C. You know, there's stuff in the Constitution bylaws like that. If this, then that, and this, and the other. Just because it's in print doesn't mean you're actually going to do it, Right? have to believe in it invest in it be involved in it be important to you just because this is in print doesn't mean that you're going to live it or like it or obey it or understand it that is done through teaching and and long-term obedience in, in, in a long direction this doesn't just take days or weeks or months it takes years a lifetime really so that's all invested in the body itself the, the, the resources of the church have names not just figures and decimals and dollar signs and it makes perfect sense that none of us living forever all dying at one point or another will have to transfer these things to the next generation it's people that carry along the gospel and it's people that make an, a, a lovely church so that people are important is all through this little conclusion so that's The church in Crete, Titus, Artemis, Tychicus, Zenus, Apollos. What about us? What's in this for me? Well, I've already made the mention that this passage is often considered just the closing stuff. It's not important. It's not written to me anyway. So what difference should it make? Well, let's make sure we don't leave anything in plain sight and leave that on the table. All the information here isn't anything that we would call extraordinary either, is it? There's nothing dynamic. You won't rush home and cross-stitch this and hang it in your hallway. I'm pretty sure of it. This is about as ordinary as Bible verses get. Uh, and, and, and abused and ignored accordingly. Just think, if you're assigned a passage... And when we were assigned passages in preaching class at Southeastern, I remember the, the guy who got the last part of the book of Philippians, the sign-off. Thanks. <laughs> Why couldn't I got chapter 2? Or, or, or Philippians 1, 6, or something like that. Let's not think of it this way. Here's what I want to say as, as the, the preface to how I think this fits for us, too. The majority of the work of God takes place in the lives of his children by the means of ordinary, unnamed, and routine business. We would look at what we just read as ordinary. There are people that we don't even know their names. And a routine that looks like it has its its Google Calendar events. But what difference does it make to us? It makes a lot of difference because we live in the same world the same way. We are ordinary. We are in many ways unnamed. And we certainly have our routines and God works through all of it. And here, let me show you. The first part of it here, got quite the exhibit of ordinary. He says, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best. That's what he tells them. He says that uh, again in verse 13, do your best. And then he tells them that the people need to learn to devote themselves. So they're going to class, they're learning things, that's normal. Um, Also, he's talking about helping a case of urgent need. Everybody has urgent needs. This is all ordinary. So what about do your best? You know, we'd like to think that these Bible characters uh, could execute their, their mission from God with a, at least a better toolkit than uh, try your best. I mean, you think about it. All right, here I am. Paul has sent me to Crete. It's a rough place. It's awful. And I got to put into order a church with a bunch of stiff-necked people. their character is that they fuss and fight all the time so I'm looking forward to what he's going to give me to get this done do your best Titus that's the same thing my dad told me my mom would say it differently she would say apply yourself son apply yourself that was when we were homeschooled that meant get in there and take your brain and put it on that piece of paper and learn that stuff this is ordinary Do your best. Or do we perhaps expect more out of Paul than just uh, deciding to winter in Nicopolis? Look at it there. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Wouldn't you expect from the Apostle Paul for him to say, The Lord has declared to me in a grand vision that I shall go to Nicopolis. I'm sure he prayed about it. And I'm sure there's reasons behind it. But at the end of the day, at some point, at some point in time, he made a decision. That's where we'll go. And Titus, I want you to meet me there. You would think we'd have you know, telepathy or something to help us. These men are as normal as we are. And I wrote down, be suspicious of someone who appears to be more spiritual than the apostles. Ever come across people like that? The Lord has led me to tell you this. Or I want to see this done at the church. The Lord is... If I had a dollar for every time someone... Not here, I not been there that long. I don't have... It would be a bad lunch if it was for Wake Chapel. But the Tabernacle or Pleasant Grove Christian Church... I could buy you all something off the dollar menu. Just for every person who said the Lord led me to do something... And then it never happened. So either they got their wires crossed... Or the Lord is in the business of leading people just to mess with them and change his mind later. That's not how it works. Most of the Christian life is determined in the mundane decision-making. And you're not going to find in the scriptures, marry this person, go to this job, attend this university, buy that car, shop at, at, at this big box and buy that type of fuel. The yellow stuff, not the blue handle, the yellow handle, the new one. But do that. There's, there's nothing in here for that. What is in here is what we've been learning in Titus. Character traits, wisdom, things that will grow your mind to a level of spiritual maturity that when something faces you, you'll have the toolkit to make the decision yourself and feel good about it. Because you've got the right attitude. It's not self-serving. Uh, or any a number of things that will steer you in the wrong direction very normal here then what about the uh, learning here how we should think that the church should know how to handle the cases of urgent need it says that they learn to that they be careful to learn to devote themselves to good works don't you wish it was some other way That, that this wasn't necessary The talking and the listening and the learning and the paying attention and the making notes. Don't you just wish there was some type of cord here. You all stand in line. You back up to the cord. They put it in the back of your brain and download it all. And now you're a mature Christian. It has to be learned. Same as you learned math. Same as you learned science. Same as you learned how to brush your teeth. It's all the same. How do you know how to take care of spiritual needs in this body? You learn how to do that. Through ordinary means and good teachers, older men and older women. Then about the unnamed. Unnamed men and women in this passage. Well, we did know their names, but we didn't know nothing other than their names. question is, are they less important to God's work than those who we are familiar with? For every Elizabeth Elliot we know, how many other missionaries' wives lost their husbands? In the service of the gospel. We'll find out in heaven. Are they any less important than an Elizabeth Elliot? We like reading the things she left behind. Because they're fascinating testimonies as to the power of God. But we don't need to make the mistake that just because we don't know the background. That it's any less important to the Lord. Or that your work for the Lord is any less important. Because no one knows that you did it. That's the point. In America, we get it backwards. Our, our culture seems to value the opposite of what we should. Our profile is more important as Americans than our purpose. We value ourselves in, in, in terms like likes, subscriptions, uh, uh, thumbs up, you know, all these things. Tweets and retweets, contacts, they change them all. I've heard Facebook's for old people now, is that true? I don't use it anyway, so I wouldn't know. But it's not your profile. It's your purpose that's important. And whether or not anyone knows it, God knows it. And here's the point. Nobody is a nobody in the kingdom of God. Nobody is a nobody. You're all important. You're all vital. If you don't believe me, why in the world would God have sent his son to die on a cross for the likes of you if you're not important? The Lord said, you know what? Them or my son's blood, I'll give my son's blood. They're that important. And then finally, there's the idea of routine in these verses. Within the same constraints of time that constrain anyone else, describing a very usual routine. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, that was a specific date on the calendar. I have decided to spend the winter in Nicopolis. That's a season that Paul is going to spend there. You have your seasons. Some are agony, some are bliss. There's ups, there's down Rains one day, sunshines the next. We left the beach yesterday, 70 some degrees. Now it's, what, 50 something when we got up this morning? All that changes. We each have a calendar. So did Paul. The question is is the Lord given administrative rights to your calendar. I had to put together a calendar church here so we all get on the same page. Certain of us have administrative rights to change the events on others' calendars. Or you can have it all locked down to where only people can see what you do but can't mess with it. Who has administrative rights of your time, your seasons, the way you operate in a mundane way? The Lord? Well... That's for you to answer. And the question I would ask is this. Is there someone saying, do your best to come to me? And that might take on any number of words you think. Who in the family, the ministry of God, is in need of what you have or can help? Are you answering? Are you learning these good works, how to take care of needs as said here? Do these things fit in your routine? Are all those all blocked off for you, oneself and one's own ambition? Again, these are things the Lord must ask you, not your pastor. And the truth of it is we've heard God's word and I do think that we've made an attempt and maybe a good one at understanding what this means. The question is now, how do we obey it? And one thing I might add to the end of a message that otherwise may be one that's forgotten sooner than some others is this. Every time we hear the word of the Lord, one of two things happen. Our heart is either softened or it's hardened. There's no in between. And just like your kids love to play with good brand new soft Play-Doh because they can do so much with it. You leave that stuff out and let it get hard, you can't do anything with it. So be soft and listen, learn, be attentive, and the Lord will use you like a Zenos or an Apollos or Tychicus and Artemis, any of those men. They're not special. They got to where they were doing what God planned for them to do by doing their best the same as you will by managing their calendar the same as you will by learning the same as you do and will so with that said you are important not just the heroes in this book God has plans for you as well so we're going to sing a hymn and uh, we're going to be on our way and I hope that these things stick in your mind be mindful of others not with us this morning and uh be in prayer for them as well.
1: Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're just grateful for so many things. You've given us a beautiful, crisp fall day for worship. You've given us a study of Titus, your words. You've given us a messenger, a teacher, a pastor, and Isaac that has helped us to understand and helped us to know how to live these words. Lord, we have other things to be thankful for in this church. Our Upward Basketball program, where this week we've had over 300 children, young lives that we can help influence through you to come to know you uh, and grow closer to you. Lord, we just ask your blessings upon upward basketball. Lord, we also pray for the McKay family. It's wonderful that Wayne is now in your presence. Lord, but we do pray for Jing as she deals with him sitting with you at this time. Lord, we also just thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for our mission of the week, Cross World Ministries. Dan and Donna have been here on numerous occasions and we just lift them up that you will provide the necessities for them to continue their ministry uh, in Italy. Lord, as we leave these doors and go into this beautiful day and this week, we ask that we all behave as believers and that we can influence others to come to know you. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.